Last week we talked about the words to the last song right before the message and how applicable it was. It's just kind of chuckling. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the tree. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. That, that, that has some nice visuals that, that come in handy this time of the year. Just uh, think, think summer, you know, think warm, think green. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Good song, though. I love that song. Opening God's words, if you would, with me to Acts. We're going to spend just a minute there, and then we're going to spend, well, then we'll turn to John chapter 1, and we'll spend most of our time in the Old Testament today. Hopefully you all remember the sermon that I was preaching on this same day last year, because I'm going to pick that sermon up and keep it going, all right? For you, those of you that weren't here, I'm sorry you missed it, and those that you were I expect you to remember and pick right up with me as we go forward. Not really. I'll I'll do like I always do, though. I always like to review just a little bit of last week's. In this case, it'll be last year's. But beginning in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Peter and John, at the beginning of the chapter, have just gone into the temple and a man asking for alms that was lame from birth is, is reaching out for help. In verse 6, Peter had said, In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, and walk. And, and then they go into the temple and Peter's preaching in verse 12. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disobeyed, excuse me, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But you put to death the author of life the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact that we are witnesses, just the fact that God raised him from the death. He's got something to do with life, right? And and the, 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 the words used there in the Greek is that he is the author of life. Turn with me to John chapter 1. There's, there's so much packed in this, in, into different uh, passages in God's word, and they can use for, be used for so many lessons and understanding. But uh, I'm, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 9 through 13. And, and the whole punchline is at the end of verse 13 that I want you to see, but we've got to lead up to it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came... All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it. Talking about the spiritual life that comes from Jesus Christ. Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. We just reviewed that again in Acts 3. He came to his own, and those were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, or the power to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Listen to this. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. Anyone that is, is born at the will of God. So that helps us to understand and see that, that when we're born again in spiritual, in spiritual life, that comes through the light and the word that we looked in the first five verses. But we also know that when there's a human birth, that that birth is approved of ahead of time. It's part of God's will. It's part of his plan. That, that story about Jeremy's camp, really, his wife that I shared a couple weeks ago, has really just been a lot on my, my heart and my mind in the last several weeks. And just to reiterate briefly, she talked about in, in their relationship before she passed away from cancer that they would go out and they would lay on the beach and look at the stars. And the reason she did that was because it just always amazed her that the God that created billions of galaxies and trillions of stars knew her name. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God knew her name. And there was nothing that was that special about her other than Jeremy loved her and wanted to marry her any more so than you or I sitting here today. That God that created all those galaxies and all those stars knows your name. It was part of his plan before the foundations of the world were laid. And he has a plan for life. He doesn't intend for us to snuff it out. He doesn't, be, because, you know, that, that just says, I'm bigger than you, God. I know better than you. You made the mistake in making this woman pregnant, whoever she might be, whoever in the world considers her has had an abortion. God, you made a mistake. I know better than you, so I'm going to end it. That's what we're saying. It's that same thing when, with any sin in our lives. God, I know better than you. I'm going to take you off the throne and put me there because I'm smarter than you are. Nah, be careful. Be careful. And yet, and yet we all do it every week. We all do that all the time. Whenever we sin, it's because we think we know better than God. Turn to the Old Testament with me. Um, last last year's sermon, just to bring you up to date real quick, we, we spent most of our time, well, all of the time uh, that we had together in, in Genesis. We talked about Adam and Sarah and how Sarah was barren. And, and so, here again, we know better than you, God, so I'm going to give my maidservant to my husband so that we can have a child. And so... Hagar goes into Abram and becomes pregnant, and they have a child, and his name is Ishmael, and to this day, Ishmael and his descendants are a thorn in the side of Israel's flesh. How's that working for you? Because we couldn't wait for God to fulfill what he said he would do in their lives. And then then when she did... When God opened her womb and she became pregnant, she had Isaac. And Isaac married Rebekah. And she was barren. And Isaac prayed for his wife and God heard his prayers and opened 
Rebecca's womb, and she had a set of twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Twins. Even trouble there. But at least they waited for God to carry out his plan and didn't figure, God, we can't wait. We can't, we can't wait for you. what you want us to do. We're going to do it our own way like Abram and Sarah did. But Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob and Esau, and Jacob goes back to, to the family area of Haran, back to the east, to get a wife, and he lays eyes on this beautiful young lady, and her name is Leah, excuse me, Rachel. <laughs> Sorry, Leah, didn't mean to get your hopes up there. <laughs> Rachel, and he works seven years for her. Wedding night comes, and he wakes up in the morning, and He's not with Rachel. He's with Leah, the older sister. And dad says, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. We have a tradition here. You, the oldest daughter gets married first. Now you tell me. But that's all right because and I, gotta, I want to make sure I get it right now and not, you know, slight Rebecca or, or Rachel or Leah, see? Uh, Jacob. Jacob says, okay, I love Rachel so much I'll work another seven years for her. And then we, we know the, the story as it goes out, and Jacob becomes Israel, and there's the 12 tribes of Israel, so there's 12 sons. And Rachel's womb is closed. And so Leah starts having children, boys. And then Rachel says, well, I'm not having kids, so I'll give you my concubine. And so the concubine has kids, and she still can't. And then... Her sister sees what she's doing, so she gives her concubine to, to yeah, yeah. Whew. And, that, and that's the foundation and basis of the 12 tribes of Israel. We wonder why there's problems. But God opens Rachel's womb because he is the author of life. He is the author of life. He opens Rachel's womb, and she has Joseph, and then she has Benjamin. What a heartbreak. She, she dies right after Benjamin is born from the childbirth. And you think of all the grief that she went through. And we don't, we don't well, we do. We question God sometimes. Why, why, God? Why did that happen? Just want to read that again from John chapter 1, verse 13. Who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by the will of God. He's got it. We can take comfort in that. We can take encouragement from that, that he knows. God is in control, and he sets about to accomplish his purpose. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. And that that kind of sums up our, our time from last year in Genesis. Turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 7. And the, this is where the Jew, we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books are grouped together and called Pentateuch, or the Law. And this is the last book of the Law. And they're, they're still getting instructions on how they should be living. And, and different different things, uh, you know, through, through uh 
Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, what, what, what do you do? What do the priests do in the case of mold or, you know, just practical things of living? And, and so we come to chapter 7 of Deuteronomy and it's talking about obedience, being obedient to the words of the law, being obedient to what God has given them to, to live by. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. And he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine, and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you, you shall be blessed above all people. There shall be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Amen and amen. Not only does God control the human wombs, he also controls the fertility of the animals. What a great and awesome God he is, that he can do that and he does it. If we, if we go back to, to Jacob real quick, uh, he, his, his name means deceiver. We know how his mom helped him to deceive dad when he got the blessing. And they dressed, well, put goat skin on it, or was it sheepskin? I'm sorry, I'm not, not getting it right offhand. But his mom put an animal skin on his arm so that he, they could deceive dad into thinking that he was Esau and get the blessing. Well, isn't it funny that Jacob's father, that, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Jacob's father-in-law deceives him with the Rachel Leah thing. But then when he's going to leave and he wants to head back home, he, he does that trick with the sticks in the water, in the, in the sheep, and the, the, the striped or spotted ones. So he's, he's still playing the game all the way right up till, till the time that he leaves his father-in-law and takes off with his wives and children. But God, God controlled that as well in those animals to bless Jacob and that he would leave with, with a large flock. So God controls not only human wombs, but he controls the animals. And he controls the earth, the ground, to bear fruit. He controls that and he blesses it. If you will obey me and follow the law, do what I'm telling you to do, I will bless you. I will bless your crops. I will bless your animals. And I will bless the fruit of the womb of, of your wives. That's at his will and his discretion to do. So why, as humans, do we think we can mess with that? We shouldn't. Judges chapter 13 We're not going to hear his name right up front, but maybe you'll figure it out. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. 
and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing, for behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God appeared to me, came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall drink wine. You shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And it goes on that Manoah wants to talk to the angel and find out exactly how they're supposed to raise this kid. I'm sure probably your Bible headings gave it away that they're talking about the young man, Samson. But Israel was was on that cycle of obedience and blessing and then disobedience and judgment and and God would give them another judge and they'd come back and be obedient and then he'd get the blessing and then they'd again and oh, don't don't look at me like that, people. We do that too every day, every week. All right. We all have our cycles of that. They weren't any more worse than we are. Any more worse? Any worser? They weren't any badder than we are. But God is going to provide a judge, and he again opens the womb of Manoah's wife so that she can bear a child. And this child is going to be used of God to judge Israel, to lead them for a short time, and even as messed up as his life was, just goes to show that God can use any of us. Samson wasn't the most upright guy around. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, just a couple pages over. there is about this story but it's one of my favorite in the Old Testament there was a certain man from Ramatham Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim and his name was Elkanah the son of Jerom the son of Elihu the son of Tohu the son of Zuf an Ephraimite and he had two wives and the name of one was Hannah and the name of the other was Paniah and Paniah had children but Hannah had no children. Well, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of the host in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And this isn't about them. They're a whole other story. When the day came that Elkanah would uh, sacrifice, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah... He would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. 
but the Lord had closed her womb. Again, it doesn't always tell, well, it doesn't, doesn't tell us why. For whatever reason, the Lord closed her womb. She wasn't able to have kids. Now, we know that there was a purpose to it. There was a reason uh, to teach Elkanah something, to teach Hannah. Verse 6. Okay. Her, her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Bullying is nothing new. It's been around since man has been around. How cruel is that? That is just so cruel. Peniah would just dig at Hannah and say, see, the Lord's blessed me, but not you. You don't have any kids. Ouch. I mean, that just takes, that just takes a whole level of cruelty. Her rival would provoke her bitterly to irritate her. Good thing none of us would do anything like that. To irritate somebody just to get under their skin. May not be about the womb, but I don't know, pick your poison. I'm not even going to give examples. We'd be here all day. Husbands and wives, parents to kids, grandkids, grandparents, aunts, uncles. <laughs> Just makes me think of an old old Christmas song. Just talking about family feuding around Christmas time. And Uncle Louie slugs Aunt Susie or whatever it was. It's an old song from the 50s. But why do we do that? Just to get under, to, and, and again, uh, the, the line I've been using a lot, and I don't even remember where I read it, that I've been using a lot lately, is if you cut my head off, that still doesn't make you taller than me. If you, if, uh, the analogy there is if, you, if, if I'm going to criticize and rip on you so that you look stupid and I look better than you, I'm the stupid one. I can't make myself taller than you by cutting you down. For some reason, Paniah thought that would work for her. To bitterly, provoked her bitterly just to irritate her. Ephesians tells dads we're not supposed to provoke our children. I think that applies to any and all relationships. To dig at somebody just to dig at them, to make them feel stupid or make them feel less, ought not to be. Verse 7, it happened year after year. This wasn't a one-time thing, okay? As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? 
Maybe that would have been better time for him just to be quiet and let her say what was on her heart. Because when a, a woman is mocked and teased and ripped on for years after year after year, obviously it's important to her that she have a son. Hannah rose at verse 9. Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget me, but you will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. And it came about as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Eli answered and said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, and her face was no longer sad. I think that's pretty telling that her face was no longer sad. Sounds like a simple matter. But we, we, we've taken a look into her heart, and it's been years. It says it happened year after year. So we know that it's been many years. And for her to, so I, I say easily, it wasn't easy, and no part of it was easy for her. But to... to Talk to the priest at the temple. And, and he says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition. And, and she's able to walk away with her face no longer sad. Well, if it's not sad, it's got to be glad, right? And it may not have been the most sunshiniest smile ever given, but she's no longer sad. Because she believes that God is going to bless her because of what the priest said. May the God of Israel grant your petition. Oh, that she would, he says. Oh, that God would grant my, my petition, says Hannah. As we go down through, we, we, we know the story that God allowed her to, allowed her wound to be opened. She became pregnant. She had a child, and his name was Samuel. And when he was old enough, they went through the blessings. They, she took him back to the temple, to Eli, so that he would serve the Lord his whole life. And what a blessing that was. Can you imagine that, though? For year after year to be mocked and teased and, and ridiculed and ripped on. And then when God gives you a son, you give him back to God so that you don't even raise him. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's faith for you. That's an awful lot of faith. 
but God worked in her and in her heart and in her life and allowed her to have one of the heroes of the faith as a son for her faithfulness. And Samuel in, in just the God-honoring life that he lived for the, for the nation of Israel. Just want to briefly read a few other verses and then say, well, Pastor White, you, you keep telling a story and you keep points. I, I want you to know and understand that God, or excuse me, as Jesus, as the author of life, that it's just not a passing, a, a, a glancing thought in God's words. That it's through the whole of scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New, that God is the author of life, and when we are, are given children, that that is a blessing from him. Job, we all know the story of Job and his lovely three friends and then the youngster that chimes in towards the end of the book. They got all the wisdom in the world to to give to Job. But in, in, in all of that, Job 31, Did not he that made me in the womb make him and did not one, excuse me, and did not one fashion us in the womb? The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Those are in Job's Psalms, and some of them we might have heard this morning, but you are he that took me out of the womb. You didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. Psalm 127, 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Another one that we'll say famous. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, you are formed, excuse me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We know how wonderful that is because of the great things that scientists have discovered. Lou Giglio shared with us one time. I'm not going to think, laminin? Is it laminin? Laminin that holds our molecules together. God is literally the glue that holds our molecules together. He holds us together. So when he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we are incredibly made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven into the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in... um, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Ecclesiastes, just as you know the path of the wind or how the bones form in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the work of the Lord who makes everything. I'm going to skip Isaiah and Jeremiah because we'll probably come back to them next year. But briefly in the New Testament, uh, the, the verses that when the angel came to Mary and said that she would be pregnant even though she was a virgin never known a man she would be pregnant by the holy spirit god controls the womb that's what i want us to understand he blesses and he withholds according to his will 
Matthew 1.20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, the dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave all the verses in Luke. Maybe that will be another grouping next year. But we just, we just need to understand that Jesus is the author of life. And if we don't honor that, he will not honor us. We must honor his word, and we must honor the fact that life is given by him. And the number of times that he breathed in, I, I think it was Ezekiel, he told to preach to those that failed the dry bones, and then the dry bones, he preached to them, and they came... They start forming back into bodies. That just had to have been a, just a weird sight to see happening. But then God breathed life back into them. It's God's choice to do that. It might sound really strange, and it is. I mean, just it's odd. But He chose to share that with us in His Word. But God breathed His Word, and He also breathes into us the breath of life physical life, and spiritual life. Thank goodness, in that verse in Acts, turned right to it. <laughs> Acts 13.30, but God, but God raised him from the dead. But God had a plan for us, our salvation. He had a plan for you and you, and you, and every one of us here. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that, that God has a plan for you. He wants to use you to accomplish his purpose. Sure, he could do it without us. He doesn't need us. But he wants to use us as his children to accomplish his purpose. If you want to know what his purpose is, this week, read Isaiah 55, okay? And Malachi 6, but be in the Word. Be in the Word. Know the Word. Otherwise, we won't know how to stand firm. But today, we can thank God and thank Him for His Son and thank You for the life that He has given us. And folks, remember, this is practice for heaven, okay? This is practice for what we're going to do in eternity. So let's praise him and let's live for him every day. Father, thank you for your son, <clears throat> your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the author of life. Thank you that he is the light of the world. It will shine in the darkness. Father, help us this week, this day, to shine into the darkness for Jesus that we might love you, Lord, and that we might bring others to Jesus, and that Jesus would change their hearts and work in their hearts and lives to live for him. Make that our heart's desire, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.